This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. We'll take your Bibles. And do not turn to Hebrews chapter 8. We will get there in a couple of weeks. But turn to John chapter 7 this morning. John chapter 7. I want to thank you for your prayers and your encouragement over the last few weeks. As I was out on a little writing break, I uh, was able to finish um, uh, the book that I was asked to do and, and turn that in and feel really encouraged and thankful for that. But I just want to thank you for your prayers. And I'm just so grateful for David Shiver. What a wonderful job that he did. And so thankful for my ability to step out and know that week in and week out, you're hearing uh, really the faithful preaching of God's word. And I am excited to be back. I'm ready. I'm energized. I'm excited about this year. I love this time of year. I love when the college students start showing up and y'all are back from vacation and everybody's in the room. Uh, we added a 250 or something more seats this week. And so we're expecting a, a great season of ministry. If you're new to Prince, it is our normal habit to preach through books of the Bible. I am in the book of Hebrews, and Lord willing, in two weeks, I'll start back in Hebrews chapter 8. That's where we are, and we will be in the book of Hebrews, I have no idea, for at least the rest of this year. Uh, but I can't wait to get back there. But I wanted to take a couple of weeks as we kind of start this new season and a new year, a new church year, to just talk about some things that are on my heart. I do feel Isaiah 43, 19, when the Lord says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. I do feel that this is a, a new season for us and I'm expecting and hoping for great things. I don't know what it is that God has in store, but I'm ready and I'm anxious for it. And I'm asking him a lot, Lord, do a new work in us, uh, do a fresh work. I think at the same time, that longing for more is probably motivated by just an awareness of how odd the last year and a half has been in every area of our lives. And one of the things our staff has been talking about is how we are seeing now, particularly I think this summer and the end of the summer, how this last season affected us, maybe more than we thought it would. I mean, we're just trying to figure out what, what kind of that did to our church. And uh, I think it, it certainly disrupted people's normal habits. And so we're trying to work very hard to get people back into those good habits. We're also working with a lot of people who have cultivated some bad habits and some people who've got out of some good habits. We're finding a lot of people who used to come to service and then to community groups are no longer coming to one of those. And many who used to serve are no longer serving. And I think a lot of it is just habit. Like we just, we've gotten out of the habit uh, of what we normally do. I do also think that it put us as a church and I think most churches in a bit of a holding pattern. Uh, you know, when a plane goes into a holding pattern, it's not landing, it's not going anywhere. It's just kind of circling and waiting. That's how it, that's how it felt to me. We're just kind of waiting. This was not a great time to start some new huge initiative. And I'm just telling you, I was not wired for a holding pattern. That's just not me. I can't do that much longer, and uh, so I'm feeling that. But I, I think the most significant thing that we've seen is just that, that things that used to be simple were really complicated. I mean, going to school all of a sudden became complicated, and going to the store became complicated, and getting together with family became complicated. I think that was actually always complicated, but it had new complications to it. 
And then church became complicated. Uh, Goodness gracious, just the amount of opinions and news and uh, decisions that needed to be made. It was just a complicated season. And so my concern is that in the midst of that, and I think coming out of that in some ways, that it's possible for us to lose sight of the priority and simplicity of what we do as a church. And when I say as a church, I mean you and me. We, we are making up the church here. What we accomplish as a church is what we accomplish together. But there is a priority of the church and there is a simplicity of the church. When Paul wrote the Corinthians, he said in 2 Corinthians eleven three, he said, I'm afraid, Paul said, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So Paul said, I'm just, I'm concerned, I'm afraid actually, Paul says, that somehow the enemy might bring confusion and your pure and simple devotion to Christ, you might lose that because the enemy might bring confusion and complication. And I'm here to tell you, 1 Corinthians 14, says, our God is not a God of confusion. Our God is a God of clarity and priority and there is a lot of simplicity in what God has called us to do. As you know from Hebrews, there is a lot of complexity. But when you think about what it is God has called us to do, it is really a simple calling. And listen to me right here. The simplicity of that calling does not change in the presence of persecution or pandemics. Now, I know those things are a reality, but I also know there's millions upon millions of believers all around the world facing incredible suffering and persecution if they do the simple things the church is called to do. So we're not alone in the difficulty of our season. And the calling God has placed upon our life does not change in the presence of persecution or pandemics. We must continue to remain focused on what it is God has called us to do. And so I just, I just wanted to take some time these first two weeks to just give you two words that are, that are heavy on me. And this might seem strange to you, but it's true, so I'm going to say it. July 21st, 4 a.m. I know this because I got up and wrote this in my notes app on my phone, and it says July 21st. 4 a.m. I woke up wide awake with two words on my mind. Not any words that I had thought about in any other context, just woke up, two words. I didn't have any other words. I wrote those words down. I went back to bed and I spent the last three weeks just asking the Lord, are those words for us? And, and what do you have for us in this season with those words? I prayed a lot. I sought the Lord. I read a lot of scripture and I do believe those words are for us. And the two words for us right now in this season, getting back to the priority and simplicity of what we do are this. Let's go. Let's go. I want us to go after God like never before. I want us to go after people like never before. That's what we do. We go after God and we go after people, amen? And you can make the church as complicated as you want, but that's what we do. We go after God and we go after people. And so what I want to say to you is it's time to go. 
We gotta go and do what God has called us to do. I think a great place for us to see both of those things, it's where I'll be this week and next week, is John 7, verses 37 through 39. But before we read those, let me set the context. So it tells us at the beginning of John 7 that it was the time of the Feast of Booths, one of the biggest celebrations of the whole year. Thousands of people from all over the world had come to Jerusalem and they had set up tents all over Jerusalem. And the reason is, is because this was a week-long celebration and a remembrance of the time in which God led his people out of Egypt into the Promised Land and they lived in tents. And God provided for them and God led them supernaturally. And so they stopped to remember what God did. Water was a big part of this celebration for a few reasons. It was not only because it was at the end of the harvest time and they were praying for another great season. But even more than that, they were looking back to the way in which God provided water in the wilderness. If you're journeying through the wilderness and you've got a million or so people, you need water. And they didn't have it. And so God provided it through a rock. And so in symbolism of that, the priest would every single morning, he would take a big basin of water and he would go to the pool of Siloam and he would dip that bucket in that pool and he would take it back and then pour it on the altar and everyone would watch as this water symbolism was just a reminder of God's provision and it pointed forward to them of someday when God would pour out his spirit. But there's a lot of tension in this moment because it tells us in verse one of chapter seven that the Jews had already decided to kill Jesus. It says they were seeking to kill him. And so his brothers are kind of egging him on to go to Jerusalem, but Jesus says that he's not gonna go up, that he's decided that this is not the time for him to go up. But it tells us in verse 10 that after his brothers had gone up uh, publicly, Jesus did go to Jerusalem, but, but privately. He knew that they were seeking to kill him, so he kind of snuck in and stayed for a couple of days. But then it tells us in verse 14 that in the middle of the feast, it's as if Jesus went in privately for a couple of days and just couldn't handle it anymore. I think the zeal of the Lord just kind of overcame him. He just went right back into the temple and started preaching again. It tells us three times in the rest of the chapter that when he started preaching, the Jews were seeking to arrest him. They want to kill him and they're seeking to arrest him. So it just makes sense when you know that someone is trying to kill you and you know that they're seeking to arrest you. It just makes a lot of sense to kind of go public and stand up in front of everyone and make a massive loud declaration, which is exactly what Jesus did. And I love that about Jesus. Isn't that great? Like completely unconcerned with what anyone else wanted to do to him. At the last day of the feast, it says this in verse 37, Jesus stood up, listen, and cried out. You just gotta feel the moment. There's a lot of tension. They're looking for Jesus. He could have gone privately. He could have just shared this with a few people, but he doesn't, he stands up. He cries out. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Now this is great because there's all this water symbolism but what Jesus is saying is, listen, if you're thirsty, like if you, if you came to Jerusalem for this feast because you believe that by coming to the temple and celebrating with us, it would quench your thirst, I'm here to tell you, if you're really thirsty, you don't need the water out of the priest's basin, you need to come to me. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In verse 38, 
whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, and we'll deal with this next week, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This has always been God's plan. He fills us and then his presence is flowing through us. And now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus gives an incredible invitation this morning. And it's an invitation that begins very broad, but then narrows the further it goes. Do you notice that? He begins with this very broad invitation, and this is a key word, anyone. If anyone thirst, it means that the invitation is for every one of you in the room today. The invitation was for the thousands of people who'd come from all different nations who were hearing the voice of Jesus. Anyone who heard the voice of Jesus, anyone hearing his word this morning, it's for you. This invitation is for you. That means if when I say that, you want to say, but pastor, you don't know what I've, no, it doesn't work, no, it doesn't matter. But pastor, you don't know what I've thought, no. Pastor, you don't know what I've done, no, no. Pastor, you don't know what I've said, no. He just started by saying, if anyone, we are a church which we constantly are calling people to come to Christ. And we say like Jesus did, if anyone wants to come to Christ, it's a broad invitation for everyone that hears. But he begins to narrow it a little bit. Let's circle the next word, if anyone thirsts. So you have anyone, but then he says, well, actually it is for anyone, but prerequisite to this is that you thirst. What does he mean by that? Well, he's using this kind of metaphor of, of just longing and desire. So he's saying, listen, if you're hearing the invitation of Jesus and there's something in your heart that has to believe that there's more than you're currently experiencing. Maybe you're not a believer and, and you have tried all of the things the world has to offer and nothing has satisfied you and you're here this morning thinking there's got to be more than this. Well, that's thirst. Or you could be a believer and you're still saying, which is a good, healthy sign, God, I want more. There's got to be more. I want to experience more from you. I want to know more of you. Well, that's, that's thirst. Let me tell you something incredible. If you have even an inkling of thirst for God, like, I mean, right now, you're just thinking, I, I, I want more of God. I want to experience more of him. I'm, I'm thirsty for something. I, you, maybe you can't even articulate what it is, but you want something more. Listen, your flesh is not giving you thirst for God. The devil is not giving you thirst for God. That thirst is the supernatural work of God in your life. Amen. That is an incredible thought. That means if there is any thirst in your heart, it's because God is allowing you to see the unsatisfying reality of everything else in life and he is giving you some thirst for him. Listen, God is at work in your heart right now if you have any thirst. God is doing that. Says, if anyone thirst. And he narrows it, let him come to me. Your thirst is going to drive you somewhere. Period. Your thirst will drive you somewhere. You will get thirsty and you will go to something in order to satisfy your thirst because God's wired you that way. So some of you have an addiction 
And the reason you have an addiction is because you're thirsty and you've gone to the wrong thing. Some of you have some really bad habits and it's because you're thirsty and you've gone to the wrong thing. Some of you are carrying a ton of baggage, maybe a lot of anxiety, a lot of weight, a lot of fear. Well, it's because you're thirsty and you're, you're not going to the right thing. So your thirst is gonna drive you somewhere. So what Jesus says is this. Jesus says, if you're hearing me and you have a little inkling of thirst, here's what you need to do. Come to me. Like, come on. Like, I'm the one who, who has what you're looking for. I can satisfy your thirst, so come to me. And then he narrows it even more. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Do you see that? He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now that is activity on your part, meaning this is how God works. The foundation of every work is thirst for God. So God puts thirst in your life and then he invites you to say, listen, if you want that to be satisfied, come to me. And then he puts it on you and says, and if you want to experience, not just know, but really experience that Jesus is better than that addiction or Jesus is better than anything else, then you've got to come to me and drink. That is an ongoing call. So the way in which that is written is it shows us that this is not like a one time you come and get a little sip of Jesus. If you want to discover that Jesus is better and satisfying and you want to get free from all of the other stuff that you're going to, including addictions, well, that begins by coming to Jesus and drinking heavily. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, how do you, how do you drink from Jesus? Well, uh, Jesus loves to use these word pictures. And it's really just a way of saying, coming to Jesus and pursuing him. As I, as I thought about that this week, I, I thought of a few different ways in which we drink, like practically from Jesus. I think, first of all, you drink through his word. In Matthew 4, Jesus uses a similar metaphor when he says, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Which means that, that like the, the key to you feeling satisfied in Jesus, the key to getting over all the other stuff you're going to, begins with this. Like that thirst has to drive you to this. So if all you're doing is coming on Sunday morning and getting 30, 35, 40 minutes of this, that's not going to do it. Like your thirst drives you to his word. It also drives you to his work. I think about this from John 4 when Jesus goes and sits by a well and he's hungry. So his disciples go get him something to eat. While they're gone, he ministers to the woman there. And then he come, the disciples come back and they've got him something. And he says, I have food you don't know about. And he goes, well, who got him food? And if he has food, why did we go and get him food? They just cannot comprehend what's going on. And Jesus says, because my food is to do the work, the will of the one who sent me. So what happened to Jesus is he was really hungry. He, he spent an hour ministering and then all of a sudden he went hungry anymore <laughs> because he really found incredible satisfaction in that type of ministry. And that's what happens as we go to his word, as we engage in his work, that's what begins to satisfy us. Now, here's what's interesting. Listen closely. What the enemy is gonna do is do anything to keep you from God's word and God's work. 
And sometimes you're going to think, well, I don't feel like going to his word, so you're not going to. I don't feel like engaging in his work, so you're not going to. And then what's going to happen is that the enemy is going to have one in your life and keep you from the very things that satisfy you. So by faith, you go to his word. By faith, you engage in his work. I think the final way we drink is through his spirit. I mean, that is the context here of John 7. He says, now this he said about the spirit, that living water. We'll talk about this in more detail next week. That living water that's flowing from God into us, through us to other people is the presence and the spirit of God. That is what the river often symbolizes in scripture. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what it means to be filled with the spirit. I, I, I used to really think that the way you got filled with the spirit is you just, you just asked. Now, I will say there's precedent for this in Luke 11. Jesus says, uh, in the same way, you being evil as a father know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the father give the spirit to those who ask him? So, so we do ask for the spirit. We seek the spirit. But I, I, I think for a long time what I would do, and I, I, w- I wouldn't ignore the Lord, but I wouldn't think as much about the Spirit throughout the week, and then all of a sudden it's Saturday night, and I know Sunday's coming. God, fill me with your Spirit. Got a bunch of people are going to show up. God, I, I need your Spirit. I, I need to preach from your Spirit. We need your Spirit in this place. And like I just, a lot of asking for the Spirit, and then I realize it doesn't work that way. Paul told us how it works in Ephesians 5.18 when he says this, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, that's not a, a passage about alcohol. It's a passage about the Spirit. And apparently Paul, in his understanding of the Spirit of God, says that a great way to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit is thinking about it in terms of what it means to be drunk with wine. Now, in Paul's day, wine was really diluted. It took a lot of wine to get drunk. Paul's saying this, if you want to get drunk, what are you going to do? You're going to drink a lot. You're going to drink heavily if you want to get drunk. Then Paul says this, you want to be filled with the Spirit? Like you want to know the joy of his presence. You want to know that peace that surpasses all understanding. You want the very power of God in your life and flowing through you. You want your life to make a difference. Well, he says this, then drink heavily from the Lord. Drink heavily heavily from the Lord. If you get drunk with wine by drinking a lot, you also get filled with the Spirit, which means, just for me as an example, if I'm longing for the Spirit's power, which is the greatest desire of my heart, to be manifested when I preach on Sunday morning, the way that happens is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm drinking heavily from the Lord. So if you want God's spirit in your house and in your family, well, it's not just at that moment you need it. God, I know I've ignored you for the last five days, but I need your spirit right now. And the Lord says, no, 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 This is this constant, continual drinking from the Lord. I, I say this quote a lot, but I love when A.W. Tozer says that we have as much of God as we actually want. That's true. Like we can have as much of God as we want and most of us actually have as much as we want. But even when we don't feel like it by faith, we run to these things that satisfy our thirst. Now listen, some of you are used to just getting a drop 
Like you come to Sunday morning and you get a drop. I hope you get like, I hope this is more than just a drop. But you know, it's like in the context of the whole week, I'm giving you a few and it's a drop. And that's great. Praise God. I hope it's refreshing to you. But this drop is not going to get you till next Sunday. Like that's not going to work. Like you're going to be thirsty in 30 minutes when you get out of here. Some of you are drinking from a glass and some of you are drinking from a water bottle and some of you are drinking from a bucket, but the real word picture should be a hose. Like it's constantly running and it's constantly filling you. That, that's the picture. The, like the hose is on and God wants to continue to give himself to you and you've got to keep drinking it because you know how this works. You get thirsty for a minute. You don't run to Jesus. You always run to something else. And a lot of dumb things happen when you run to something else. So what I'm saying to you is, let's go after God. <laughs> Let's go. Like, I so long for you to experience the fullness of everything he has for you. And I so long for this church to be a place that experiences the fullness. Let's drink heavily and consistently. I mean, let's drink and drink and drink and not ever be satisfied with a little of Jesus. God is the all-satisfying reality of life. And he is inviting you to drink. So let's go. Let me be just a little bit more practical as we think about this new season as a church. Our mission is to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. Every word of that's important. Our mission is to lead people. And we want to lead them to Jesus. And we want to lead them to not only make an initial decision, but we want to lead them to continue to walk with Jesus. So that's what we do. How we do that is what we call our discipleship pathway. So what do we do? Lead people to trust and follow Jesus. How do we do it? Well, we lead them through this pathway in which there are three primary areas of growth, worship, community, and mission. Because the Bible is clear that those are the three primary areas in which everyone must be growing to be a growing disciple of Jesus Christ. You can't take out any of those. You need to be growing in your worship, your community, and being on mission with God. And so what we do as a staff, what we do as pastors, is we, we provide for you opportunities to, to help you engage in that. So let's just think about worship. We provide Sunday morning service. This is not all the worship you need, but it's supposed to get you excited about worship. It's supposed to give you an idea of how to understand the word and how to get on your knees and pray and how to sing so that you might continue to do it. We provide discipleship groups so that you can learn how to read the Bible on a consistent basis and talk about it. You need these venues that we provide to help you to worship. And so what I'm saying to you is when we say let's go after God, that begins with let's, let's go and make a greater commitment than we ever have before to our corporate and individual times of worship. This has got to be priority. We also have to go in, in community. And God has always ordained it that people function in community. Like this is, we grow in community because you have some massive deficiencies and you need someone to point them out. You also have some massive and glorious and beautiful gifts and you need someone to point those out. And you need someone to know when you begin to drift away. You need someone to be there in the most difficult moments. And listen, as much as I love this church, just the size of this room, this isn't gonna happen in this room. It happens in a smaller community. Now listen, we have done something as a church. I mean, this is gonna blow you away. It's absolutely 
We just, we have a lot of good ideas. I'm just being honest. What we've decided to do, listen, this is, are you, are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. This is big. It's gonna blow your mind. We've decided to provide a way for you to come here on Sunday morning and experience worship and community. That's unbelievable. Like meaning you can come to a worship service and also go to a community group. I don't know why no one else ever thought of this. So what, what we're saying to you is this, is, is we know how busy life is. And so I love home groups. I think home groups are great. Uh, I know our college students are doing a lot of those. And I think for that context, it's absolutely perfect. We just, I don't think are totally convinced they're gonna show up at 915 for a community group, right? So we do that at home, that's another deal. But what we think is this, if you'll give us like two and a half hours every Sunday, get here an hour early, stay an hour late, we want to provide you with a worship service and community. We also believe that every adult and every child needs that. So let me tell you how this works. I need you to listen closely. If you have children, we, our conviction is that children need to be in a worship service. So I know there's a lot of churches that will put children in a separate children's church till they're in sixth grade, some until they graduate high school. We just don't think that's healthy. We think kids need to see other people worshiping. We think kids need to be around old people. We think kids don't need to just sing kids songs. They also need to sing some adult songs. We think kids need to be under the preaching of the word. We think it's important. We also think kids need to be in community. So listen, if you as a parent decide that you're only gonna come to one of those, then that means your child is only gonna come to one of those. And you and your child are both gonna miss something. So what we're asking for you to do in hopes that it might lead you in this pathway of discipleship is to come for worship and then come to community and allow your child to experience the same two things. And can I just say one little word to parents? The reason God gave children parents is because children don't know what to do, which means you can't let them decide what to do about church. When they move out, they can decide what to do about church. But when they live in your house, they go to church with you. And so I just want to plead with you to, to engage in worship and community. And I know we're asking a lot, but we really believe that your time here in the morning will be the impetus to greater worship and greater community as you engage in those things. And then we're gonna spend all next week talking about what it means to go in worship. But let me, just, let me just say this. Every one of you knows somebody who needs to know Jesus and every one of you has an empty row on your, a seat on your row. So let's go. Let's go get them. We'll talk about that more next week. Our mission is, is to lead people. And so my desire every week is to get you to take the next step. So to get as intensely practical as I can, here's what I'm asking you to do. Every one of you, I'm asking you to take the next step. Some of you need to take the first step of trusting and following Jesus. Some of you have never fully surrendered to Jesus. You're playing games. You're not confident if you were to die that you'd go to heaven and you need to get that settled. You need to get that right. You need to fully surrender to Jesus. Some of you need to take that first step and you need to do it today. Some of you need to take that next step of getting in community. Some of you need to take that next step of making a greater commitment to worship. But whatever it is, I have no idea, but, but all you need to do, this is how God works, you take that next step.
This morning, I just want us to be reminded that drinking is really practical. You just, you just drink, and so it is. When the enemy wants to make our relationship with Jesus so complicated, Jesus just says, just drink, and, and just drink, and keep drinking. And what I want to say to you is we provided these opportunities through community and worship and mission to drink, so, so let's go, and let's go after God as a church, because there's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing that satisfies more than Jesus. Everything your heart longs for is found in Jesus, so let's go after God. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.